Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. Earlier, I asked why we pursue answers to questions that have none. Because those big questions, who or what is God, where do we go when we die, and why are we here, have stuck with us for as far back as we can tell. The earliest cultural artifacts we have are the stories we told each other in caves in our first attempts to answer those questions. Stories of beings shaping the world, wrenching loved ones back from death, and stories of people burdened with glorious purpose. Some of these stories, which we are still telling and retelling to this day, predate the written word. They existed in the ephemeral time of early civilization, when the lines between truth and myth were much blurrier. When we were just monkeys, sitting in caves, watching shadows dance across the wall and looking for patterns. And what divine patterns there are to be found. Our curiosities have led us to map the world, chart the stars, and plumb the depths of knowledge in every imaginable field. As I sit and write this, I weep with joy for all the passion spent in the pursuit of simple curiosity. Again, that fourth principle, that search. Because we are never content to sit where we are. We may stop to appreciate the view, but inside each of us is that need to move on, that drive, that need to find the end of the rainbow, the X that marks the spot. Like our migratory ancestors, each step we take propels us into new lands, new experiences, and new thoughts. Those same ancient stories were epics, journeys and quests undertaken by heroes we dreamed of emulating one day. We seek the horizon and the light beyond it. We yearn for whatever is next. We search for answers. And so, when the answer to a question evades us, it bothers us. Like the name of a song on the tip of your tongue, it, it pesters us relentlessly, that uncertainty. We can't ever really let it go because we know the joy of discovery and new understanding. How then? How one answer can cascade into another and like dominoes, the truth tumbles into us. So it's no wonder, then, that the divine has driven us for so long. It calls to us like the sea, untold possibilities, if only we can reach the other side. Because what greater secret is there than to find the seat of God? Or, perhaps, to find that the chair is empty. But the name of God is unpronounceable, at least for now. Our greatest scientific instruments produce static when we point them that what direction. Our philosophy ends up chasing its own tails. Various religions are proof enough of that. How many different myths can you think of 
of someone requesting to see the true form of God and being turned to ash in that instant. To witness the divine is death. We know that it is forbidden ground that we are unable to truly trod upon. And yet, we keep searching. So what, then, do we do when plagued with a tantalizing, unanswerable question? We cannot simply discard it like an old hobby, for to stop asking would be the death of the question itself. Instead, we let it live with us, take up residence in our heart, watch us grow, and in turn, we watch the question grow with us. In this way, it's much like a relationship a balance to be maintained between what we know and what we seek. Because in our darkest times, that light on the horizon that promises to cast away uncertainty can carry us through the night and into such beautiful dawns. Our answer to the divine cannot be static. Immutable stone will only crack with age and crumble into the sand and be lost like Ozymandias in the desert. Instead, it must be a living, breathing thing, one which we feed and care for and will care and feed us in kind. At this point, I would like to take a bit of a step back, as I feel I've let the metaphor get a bit away from me. I do not mean to pressure you into any particular beliefs, just to stoke your curiosity. Because regardless of the existence or non-existence of a higher power, the pursuit of that answer, the search alone, can take you to wonderful places. I don't care if you believe in God or not. Stained glass windows are beautiful. I don't believe if I care about God or not. The hymns that my mother sang to me as a child will reverberate in my bones long after I am dead. I spoke briefly before about my own relationship with the divine. That for a time I cut myself off, convinced myself that those questions are not worth pursuing. Some of that was rebellious nihilism, my desire to put most everything from my childhood into a box and bury it in the backyard and then move three states away. But, and to be honest, I partly blame that on the church I grew up in. Now, I won't go into details, at least not until after the service, but I felt left down by my bridging service. I had a particularly upsetting conversation with my mentor, wherein they expressed that they thought that anyone who believes in God is stupid. Plain out, that kind of language, anyone who believes it is dumb. I didn't realize it at the time, But that one contemptful, dismissive opinion entirely confirmed every single bias I had, that even discussing faith was a fruitless endeavor. You can imagine my surprise then when I took LSD for the first time and heard God in Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. (laughs) No one tell my mother, please. (laughs) I joke, but I did come to a lot of realizations when I was in undergrad. Most relevant, I realized just how boring and empty that kind of an incurious life can be. 
It's an overused metaphor and makes me feel like I'm pitching a commercial for sinus medication, but it was like I had let the color fade from my life because I hadn't just stopped looking for answers. I had stopped looking for wonder. I let things be only what they were and stopped imagining what they could be. I don't want that to happen to anyone else. Whether or not God exists, magic does. It exists in serendipity, in the way that patterns tend to line up, and in the way we learn and grow and build relationships. It exists in art and science alike because those joys of creation and discovery are just as much magic as a unicorn. And each person has the right to find that magic in their life. And I think that's why it still bothers me. I guess it's true what they say, we reject most that which we hate most in ourselves. Because under it all, despite all my posturing and bravado, I still had questions that I could not answer. And to remember someone saying that those questions aren't worth answering is like a slap in the face. To assume that you have more answers than everyone else when we're all flying by the seat of our pants is preposterous to me. We must not let our own egos, our own rush, our own fury, throw away our principles. Without them, we're just a social club with good coffee. We must never be afraid to ask. And we must encourage those around us to ask as well. I did a workshop once with a woman named Claire, who, without fail, every single lesson asked a seemingly mundane, obvious question. At first, I thought she came woefully unprepared, until she asked a question I was working up the courage to ask myself, because I thought it was too obvious, too stupid to ask in front of anyone. I wish I could have her confidence, her courage to so boldly admit her own lack of knowledge, her own wandering in the darkness, and by doing so, demonstrate her enthusiasm to learn, her drive to follow that star beyond the horizon and find whatever happens to be waiting there for her, whether it be God or a new hobby. I assume, like many of us, up until...